Well, good morning, Taze Valley and Gateway at Taze Valley. It's good to be with you this morning. This is my first opportunity to speak here. Um, though I feel a little bit at home, I'll get to that uh, in, a, in a bit. My name's Gus Andrews, and I'm a Gateway boy. I grew up at the Gateway Church of Christ in St. Albans back in the 60s. Uh, seems so long ago, doesn't it? Me and the Beatles. But, um, you know, I survived. I'm still living, you know. But uh, regardless, um, Gateway was a, a dear church home for me and my family. Brought us through some so, so uh, important life moments in our, our family. It's also where I met my wife, Lynn. She uh, is back there enduring this sermon for the second time. She does a lot of that. I retired after 46 years of full-time Christian ministry, and uh, for the last year and a half, I've just been filling in every Sunday at different churches. In fact, last year, there were only four Sundays I did not preach at some church, and I just got to preach as much as I ever got to preach when I was full-time. But I don't have to do all that other stuff, all that administration and uh, problem-solving and uh, the doctor says, my heart can't take that anymore. I'm a heart patient. I've had open heart surgery and whatnot. Uh, but evidently, preaching's good for me because uh, I'm, I'm fit as a fiddle. And uh, I'm loving it. Every Sunday, Lynn gets tired of hearing me say it, but we're driving down the road. And I said, have I ever told you? We were driving down 817 this morning. Lynn, have I ever told you how much I enjoy getting up on Sunday mornings and driving to a new church every Sunday morning and preaching? And she just rolls her eyes like she's rolling right now at me. Uh, yeah, you say that about 52 times a year. And, uh, but I do. I'm just loving this retirement. I asked the Lord, please let me preach. Please let me keep preaching. And I moved down from Ohio, and my buddies up in Ohio said... Um, that wouldn't be a very smart thing to do because all the churches up here, they know you and, and they'll call you to fill in. But you go back home to West Virginia, you haven't been there since 75. We left here in 1975. So they're not going to know you. They're not going to know who to call to fill in or trust you, that you're not going to stir up a hornet's nest if you fill in some Sunday. Before the, and, it's, and, and those were some great people that gave me that advice. They meant well. But it's been it's been proven untrue. I mean, the people have been so good up and down the valley. I've been preaching from uh, upriver, Canal uh, Falls Way, all the way to Ashland and uh, Gallipolis and uh, down on the river. And uh, I've just had places to preach every Sunday. I get to be with God's people, a new congregation almost every Sunday. It's a, it's a, it's a great experience seeing uh, God's people everywhere and uh, how they're trying to reach out into their communities and some of them uh, in good, healthy times like this church and some, some struggling. And I get to try to help them uh, through their struggle as well. And uh, th this is my opportunity to be here with you. And it uh, does my heart good, but before I forget, I need to tell you something. Um, some of you may be aware, not many of you, but uh, Steve and Sarah Harley say hello. They do. And the reason I know that as I spoke to Steve uh, this week, as I do many weeks, Steve was my replacement at the Licking Valley Church of Christ. Um, I was there for 32 years, and it was time for me to retire out because of of uh, heart surgery and whatnot. And so we began a transition, a three-year transition, carefully looking for the right man. And we stole him from you. 
And he's doing such a marvelous job. It, it was so, the Lord was so much in that, and I hope you'll forgive us for what it, it may have uh, done to you for a short time, though it looks like you're doing well. But when I left um, a year and a half ago, we were running 350, and two Sundays ago, they just crossed 500 at Licking Valley. And so, I mean, it's just amazing what he's doing. And I thank the Lord for him and Sarah and the girls being there and the congregation loves them. And it's just a, it's just a really, really good, good fit. And I, and I asked him uh, if there's anything I could say. And he said, just tell him hello. Tell him, tell him I miss him and, and say hello. So I wanted to do that. I'll let him know that when I talk to him. I will let him know that. As well. Well, one of the reasons that I'm happy to be here is I have a vested interest in this congregation. And uh, I, I grew up out on Coal Mountain, but I lived just across the Putnam County line. So I went all 12 years of school to Hurricane. I know I went to St. Albans Church, but um, it, took a, it took an hour to bus me in from Browns Creek to Hurricane Schools, but I went to all 12 years. I would say K through 12, but back in those days, Hurricane didn't have a K. Hurricane was spelled with a C, uh, but now they have a K through 12 in, in Hurricane, and uh, I made lots of friends. I, I, out on Browns Creek, everybody was my kin or I didn't know him, but out when I got to school, I made all these new friends and wonderful, wonderful friends, hoping to see some of them this morning. I've been looking around the crowd to see if anyone might, I might uh, recognize. I was told one or two might be here this morning. Uh, but many of these friends that I went to school with, dear friends, dear, dear friends, uh, they, they just never exper uh, expressed a public commitment to Christ. They, they just had never done that. And so back when the Gateway Church of Christ in St. Albans started this church project of uh, Taze Valley Church. I was all on board. I mean, I was gung-ho because I thought, yes, here's a church that reached out to me and brought me into a commitment of Jesus Christ. Maybe this will be a church that will start in the valley and bring some of my friends that I've been unable to bring to Christ into Christ. And Lynn and I actually took two Sundays off of our ministry at the time. And we were here to help start the first two Sundays of this congregation back in the community center of the Hurricane Wave Pool. How many were here back in those days when I just... It looks like there's a five, six, seven of us that were there to set up chairs every Sunday, take chairs down, set up sound system, put sound systems down. But that's where this congregation began was in that community room of the wave pool. And our hearts and prayers and a little bit of our effort was, was with you guys, man. We were hoping and praying that you'd be a, a going bunch. I never got to worship with you in the movie theater. I, 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 I did not experience that. But out here when you uh, moved into this campus and, and uh, remodeled and whatnot, uh, my dad made some offerings with me to do some electrical work here and whatnot. And um, I mean, we've been for you guys. We have, and, and I just, I'm delighted to see what I see. I mean, just the one side would have fit in the community center room. And you have two services with two sides and all the young people we saw get up and go out of here. By the way, it's disheartening to the preacher to stand up and preach and watch everybody walk out the door. <laughs> but I'm used to it. We, everywhere I've gone, we, we've had people uh, do that. And um, uh, regardless, um, so proud of what's happening here. I'm pulling for you. Uh, if any of you watch the Red Green show, I'm, I'm one of the Red Green guys, you know. Uh, keep your stick on the ice, you know, we're pulling for you. All we guys, we got to stick together. And um, 
I, I truly appreciate what you're doing for Christ here in the valley uh, and hopefully reaching so many of my friends uh, that I would love to have with me in heaven. Uh, now, um, what we want to talk about this morning is uh, opposition to our faith, that not everybody is as gung-ho for this congregation to succeed as I am. You do understand that, right? You've got, uh, in fact, you had some neighbors that were a little miffed at you over your youth center out here that you're redoing. I don't know if you remember that, but um, not everybody is pulling for you. There are those that are, that are not just opposed to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are strongly opposed to the church. And that's what we're talking about in this foundation series. We're trying to shore up our foundations, these foundational truths upon which our whole faith depends. We want to make sure that we've got them strong and ready for the opposition that is coming against them. Uh, because uh, th there was a time in society when the church was, was supported by the community, but uh, not, not so much anymore. How many remember the old um, Oldsmobile commercial, uh, this is not your daddy's car anymore? Anybody remember that commercial? Shows your age with me. But there was a time when GM decided they were going to update their Oldsmobile for the next generation so it would have successful sales and the, the younger people would like to buy uh, the Oldsmobile that was tagged as their daddy's car once upon a time. Did anybody drive an Oldsmobile to church this morning? It didn't work, did it? <laughs> it I mean, young people didn't buy daddy's car. This was not, I mean, it, they might say this is not your daddy's car anymore, but they changed it and nobody wanted it, not even daddy. <laughs> well, folks, this is not our father's world anymore either. This is not the world God created. This is so much different from that Garden of Eden. It's changing more and more into something God never created it to be. And it presents an opposition to anyone who wants to stand upon the faith that was once and for all delivered into the saints. The foundational truths upon which the world was founded and the church was built. And that's what the Gateway Churches are trying to do with the foundation series. We're trying to shore up those foundations so that they'll be able to withstand opposition that might come against them. Now, hopefully you were here to hear last week's foundation's message on the existence of God. How many were here to, to hear last Sunday's sermon on the existence of God? This is a truth that is, I mean, it's absolutely fundamental to our faith. Can you imagine trying to be a Christian if you didn't believe there was a God? I mean, who would go to a church like that? I mean, it's over. Why, why be part of any? You don't believe there's a God, but you realize there is a strong emphasis today of trying to uh, oppose belief in God. The most foundational truth upon which we can stand or fall. Uh, and I'm very thankful for the four lines of evidence that were presented last Sunday, um, arguments for the existence of of God. If you weren't able to hear that, I'd encourage you to go online to gatewaychurch.net and listen to that message again and hear four really great arguments for the existence of God. Even for somebody that doesn't put any stock in the Bible, those are great arguments for you to remember should your faith ever come into question. If someone attacks your foundational belief in the existence of God, man, I hope you can remember at least one of those four 
great evidences. Now, the speaker actually said there were 20 of them. And uh, I actually looked them up after the message was over. And uh, great, great evidences out there uh, for the existence of God. A foundational truth upon which we must stand because it will come under attack. If not against our faith, against the faith of the next generation, our children. As they go through the educational process that's, that's been held up in, in our land in which we live, that's going to be attacked. Whether there truly is a God or not, I hope, I hope your, your children incorporate those arguments for the existence of God in their life. Well, this morning we're going to look at how the Apostle Paul says we are to prepare for that day of battle before that day of battle comes. If you brought your Bible, it's found in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, around verse 11, a few verses before, several verses after. But Ephesians 6, 11, the apostle says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now that's something that's pretty hard to do when the arrows are flying, the enemy's charging. It's, it's going to be hard to put on armor when you're already in the battle. This is something that we need to do before the day of battle comes, in preparation for the battle. And I hope that's the reason why you and I are here this morning, to prepare for whatever battle we may have to face out there tomorrow. It may be a battle where we'll be called to stand and fight for this foundational truth that our, our whole faith depends upon. And we may need all the armor of God available to stand in that fight. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But it may also be a battle where we'll need not to stand and fight, but where we might want to cut and run. And I want to play devil's advocate for a, a few minutes here this morning because you know, we probably have one or two this morning in the audience. And if we do, I'm one. I'll join you. I'm always looking at the other side of the issue being presented. Did you think about this? What about that? And we're going to talk about the time when you absolutely are being called by Christ to stand and fight on a foundational truth that you must not let go of. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But... There's also times when opposition faces you, and because of the opposition, it's probably better just to cut and run, to just get out of there and whatever situation our enemy may be tempting us with. Now, that's a different strategy for battling opposition, but it's just as biblical. The Bible would say there are times when Christians need to run. Um, for instance, the same apostle who's going to tell the Ephesians this morning, uh, to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, that same apostle told the Corinthians to flee from adultery. He never told them to try to stand up against it. He told them to run from it because of the uphill battle that the Corinthian Christians we're faced with and trying to live out a Christian faith in the midst of a sexualized society that was so promiscuous that giving up all moral boundaries when it came to sexual behavior was known all around the empire as becoming Corinthianized. Do you know that in the first century? If you were part of the culture that says no moral boundaries when it comes to sexuality, everything goes. That kind of lifestyle in the Roman Empire was called Becoming Corinthianized, because that's how the Corinthians live. 
And the Christians in Corinth were told, man, when it comes to sexual immorality, run, run. Your culture is just so promulgated with their, you will not be able to stand against it. When you find yourself in that kind of a, van, uh, a venue, the apostle says, cut and run. And it may seem chicken-hearted. I mean, this doesn't seem the American way, does it? Opposition <laughs> comes up against you. What's the strategy? Run. Cut and run. Get, get, get out of there. But sometimes it's just smart. It's just the smart thing to do. If you'll remember, this is what Joseph did in the Old Testament with Potiphar's wife. Uh, Potiphar's wife, day after day, tempted young Joseph to get into bed with her until one day she would no longer take no for an answer and she caught young Joseph by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And we all say, good for him, right? Smart strategy. You don't stand and fight in that kind of situation. You cut and run. Sometimes the best game plan is just to get out of there. And if you're a devil advocate that's seeing that this morning, I'm, I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, sister. Sometimes run before damage is done. Damage that's so serious it may not be able to be undone. And it's not just young men who have to be aware of that. It's old men as well. And I'm speaking about myself here because I know I'm in that age category now. But how many older men have ruined their reputation that it took them a lifetime to build? And they ruined it in one momentary indiscretion. That could have all been avoided if they just got out of there. And young ladies... What father or mother, or in my case, grandfather or grandmother, doesn't hope and pray that our young daughter or granddaughter knows where to draw the line when it comes to dating and when to say no and when to cut and run and get out of there. Amen? We pray that they know there's a time when you don't stand any longer, you run. You get yourself out of those temptations. What husband doesn't hope his wife knows when to cut off texting and messaging um, and meeting with male counterparts at work or after work? Cut that off before things go too far and get out of hand. Sometimes discretion is not only the best part of valor, it's just plain smart. And the thing to do is just get out of there. And I don't believe that uh, only applies to sexual temptation, but also, uh, for instance, to people struggling with alcohol. That's a strong, strong compulsion. And, um, and people who are, who are addicted to drugs, think of that. Or people who are addicted to gambling, who should do all they can to stay away from some of the places and people they used to hang out with but they need to stay away now lest they be drawn back into a life that almost destroyed them. They could be drawn back into that life again. It's kind of like the old vaudeville joke of the man who went to his doctor and said, Doctor, doctor, I think I broke my arm in three different places. What should I do? And the doctor said, stay out of those places. 
There are some places that Christians should just stay out of. Amen? It's not a time to stand against them. Just, just stay out of them. Cut, cut and run. Because of the danger they pose, and if we find ourselves in those places, run. I hope I remember that when my time comes. But, but other times, and here we're shifting gears, another devil advocate might say, um, there are some opposition out there. That it's such slight. We, we just need to let it go. I mean, the damage, the potential damage and danger is so minor. It, it's not going to cause you to lose your faith or lose your lifestyle. Uh, it's opposition, yes. Someone is in your face. But uh, you just need to let it go. And here I'm thinking more of where Jesus says something like, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, what should you do? Turn to him the other also. Uh, now, that's not the favorite verse of our armed forces or our police departments, nor should it be. Uh, but here we're talking about a minor offense. It's, it's kind of a blow to our ego more than anything. It might be a blow to our nose as well. Okay, there might be a bloody nose from it. But that's about as far as it goes. And maybe the best course of action is just let that go. It's, yes, it's opposition, but just let it go. It's the Old Testament, remember, that says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The New Testament says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But as far as any kind of vengeance or retaliation goes, the New Testament says, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never. If that's your motivation for standing against opposition, it's wrong. You should never Avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Now, so much of the opposition that we face today is this kind of opposition. It's, it's something that was said around the water cooler. It, it's something that was texted online about us. It's something in, I mentioned in the lunchroom, around the dinner table, or something said on the basketball court at St. Albans High School. Or something that's said in the stands. Words. Nothing more than words. Trash talk. Yes, I'll give you that. A blow to someone's ego. Yeah, possibly that. And our natural reaction is to rise up and go toe-to-toe, defend ourselves. When the best course of action may be to just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Those were the words spoken by Jesus long before Elsa sang them. Which leads us to what we really want to talk about this morning. I, I just did that in case we have devil's advocates that are, that are thinking those things. There are scriptural admonitions to let things go and to cut and run. But we're listening to the Apostle Paul tell Christians what to do in, in much more serious situations. These are much more serious times. I mean, Nero is, is very soon going to be throwing Christians to the lions. It's not a slap on the cheek. Or words in your face. Life and death is, is going to be faced by these people Paul's writing to. And these are times, Paul says, that were orchestrated by the devil himself. Times when the very foundations that Christians have painstakingly laid down over the last 2,000 years are right now being pulled out from under us. Christians gave their lives in opposition 
to those that were trying to destroy these foundations that we stand upon. And now it threatens to upend the very faith that was once and for all delivered unto the saints. But also the life and soul and maybe the survival of our nation. The morality that's being propagated today might bring our nation down. If Paul could rise from the dead and speak to the seriousness of much of what's happening today, I don't think he'd say, now's the time for the church to let it go or for the church to cut and run. I think he'd say, now is the time to take a stand. Take a stand while you can. There's too much at stake to just let it go or to cut and run. Sometimes you have to stand. Now, three times, Paul tells the Christians living in Ephesus, it was time. Stand. It's time. In verse 11, we're going to read the Apostle Paul saying, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. In verse 13, Paul's going to say, And having done all, to stand. And to, to emphasize it, he's going to say, Firm. And the very next words out of his mouth are, Stand, therefore. And each time Paul uses a Greek word that you may be more familiar with than you think you are, it's the Greek word histomy. Does that sound a little familiar to anybody? It's, its counterpart's going to be a little more familiar to you, uh, where Paul's going to say in uh, verse uh, 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand antihistomy. Does that sound familiar? You sinus sufferers should know what an antihistamine is. <laughs> Paul's talking about two opposing forces, pressuring one against the other, neither giving in to the other one. Anyone ever felt that before? It is a pressure that sometimes feels unbearable. One force trying to impose itself, in this case, from below us onto the world our Father created, and the other force empowering us from above, trying to empower us to withstand the force that's pressuring against us below. And this is the pressure in between that Christians are trying to antihistamine withstand these two unmovable forces coming against one another. And the reason we feel this pressure is because, number one, our adversary is no featherweight. Now, I hate to use that word featherweight because that's what I was. For three years, I wrestled in the 98-pound weight class for Hurricane High School, which is the lowest weight class of all weight classes in high school wrestling. It is the featherweight class where the pipsqueaks duke it out. I lived there for three years. With all my teammates, had all these cool nicknames like Bruiser and Mad Dog, my teammates called me Chipmunk. <laughs> because I was such a little feller. Unlike our adversary, the devil. Now that's what Paul calls him in verse 11 when he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the diabolos. The is the Greek Prepositional prefix that means against or through. 
And uh, uh, bala is the verb that means to throw. We, our adversary is the one who throws temptations against us. He throws accusations against us in hopes of dividing us one from another and dividing each of us from our heavenly Father, the one who throws against you, the devil, the diabolos, and he's a master at it. He is a master schemer, is the, is the English word that uh, is used in our text here. He, I like to think of him, he's a clever devil. You ever heard of him called a clever devil? This is the clever devil. Uh, think Loki in the Marvel Universe. Except Loki likes to play tricks on people just for kicks. Just, I mean, he doesn't really have an agenda. He just likes to, to have fun tricking people. The devil schemes against men and women with evil intent out of furious anger with those who belong to the kingdom of heaven out of which he was thrown. You and I have a home in heaven. The devil doesn't. He lost that. He got kicked out of that. And he's angry with us that have a home there that he no longer does. The devil is pictured in the book of Revelation as an enraged dragon who made war in heaven and lost and was kicked out. And now he's come down to earth to make war on heaven's church. And he's come down with this warning from heaven. Here's what heaven said when it kicked the devil out. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. Now that calls the apostle Peter to warn God's children to be sober-minded be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You do not want to underestimate him. You do not want to go against him on your own. You do not want to find yourself toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose. For, Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If truth were known, you and I don't even understand what kind of power is at the devil's command. We don't understand the, the darkness, the, the, the kingdom, the spiritual forces that we cannot even see. We're outmatched. Jude illustrates that in his little letter at the end of the New Testament when he tells us this. Interesting, enlightening little statement. I'm not sure why he included it, except maybe he just thought we needed to know this. Jude said, but even the archangel Michael, the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare 
to condemn Satan for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. The archangel won't go toe-to-toe with him. Doesn't dare go toe-to-toe with him. Therefore, our apostle says this morning, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. On our own, we're not going to be able to go it. Not against this devil because our enemy is no featherweight. But, and here's the good news this morning. Are you ready for some good news after all that scary stuff? Here's the good news. Our commander-in-chief is no pushover either. Amen? There's the good news. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. We're not fighting a losing battle. In fact, we're promised victory in the end. Stand, therefore... Paul says, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for your shoes, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, spiritual weaponry available, given by God himself in heaven that we'd be wise to put on this morning, amen? Because this is a spiritual battle that we're talking about fighting here. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. And you don't try to fight a spiritual battle with your physical strength, amen? We need to spiritually prepare for the spiritual battle ahead. And that's the last point I want to mention here this morning. Our ability to stand and fight will be dependent upon our willingness to spiritually prepare for the spiritual battle out there. <clears throat> By actually putting on the armor of God that he offers us. This is our part. God makes the offer. Here's the armor. He gives the warning. Here's, here's why you need to put on the armor. And then he gives the armor. He makes the offer. It's our job to put it on, to take up the weaponry that the Lord has given us. Let me just mention one piece of that armor for time's sake this morning. Uh, that uh, One piece of this armor God gives that we could all probably improve upon. And that's prayer. A spiritual weapon that the Lord has given us. Now, most of us probably pray, especially in a venue like that. I feel pretty safe saying that. We may have a guest with us this morning, and if we do, thank you. Glad you're here. Um, maybe these are all foreign concepts to you, and that's perfectly understandable. We're, we're not judging you for that. But most of us here as Christians, uh, we understand how prayer is a, uh, a privilege that God has given his people, that we can speak to his ear. We've got God's ear. He, he listens to us when, when we speak to him. And most of us probably take advantage of that from time to time. Most of us probably pray. Now, maybe some of us don't pray out loud. Or mo- maybe we, don't, we only pray out loud in uh, limited circumstances with our own, our own little personal 
family maybe. Uh, maybe we pray around the dinner table for those times when we still sit and eat around the dinner table. Probably not so much at the drive-thru, but if we saw how our food was prepared at the drive-thru, we'd probably pray more for uh, what we picked up at the drive-thru. Uh, we probably pray uh, most of the time when we go to bed, if, we're, if we don't forget or we're not, not too tired when our when our heads hit the bed. Well, we probably all throw up a wind and a, a prayer in times of desperation. You know, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, we probably all do that. We may even remember to thank the Lord when deliverance comes and Jesus does take the wheel. Uh, we, we may uh, pray for a safe arrival at uh, a long destination. Uh, we may remember to thank the Lord when we actually safely arrive on that uh, long destination. Some, sometimes we, we might remember to do that. But how many of us actually pray the prayer that Jesus gave us with the kind of intensity it deserves when Jesus taught us to pray against that evil one waiting for us out there? Our Father, which art in heaven... When, when you pray, Jesus says, Matthew says, when you pray, pray like this. Luke says, when you pray, say this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the newer translation says, deliver us from the evil one. Now why would Jesus direct his disciples to pray that kind of a prayer? Because the devil's out there. There is a real devil prowling around looking for someone to devour. And if more of us in here truly believed there was a real devil out there, there'd be a whole lot more of us praying in here before we dared to go out there. This truly would be a house of prayer. We dare not go out there unprepared. That's why the Apostle Paul closes the thought of how prayer is part of the Armor of God, we should be putting on. Paul closes that thought with, with this. And it, it just shows you how important Paul thought this piece of the armor was. He applies that piece of the armor to all the armor bearers in the church that could be praying. And he says, to that end, because prayer has been given as part of the spiritual armor of God, so that you might be able to withstand that which is waiting on you out there. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. You praying for me, me praying for you, all of us praying for all of us because all of us are going to have to go out there. And also for me, the Apostle Paul says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. If you read uh, the book of Ephesians, you'll see in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is at that time a prisoner. He is bound in chains. 
He's waiting to see Caesar. He's going to have to stand for the faith before the emperor. And even the apostle Paul did not dare go out there where the very foundations of his faith are going to be tried to be pulled out from under him. He did not dare to go out there without prayer, without putting on the whole armor of God that he might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil and having done all to stand. Now, there's probably not a person in this room who is not aware of how desperately Ukraine has been trying to stand against the invasion that has come upon it. How Ukrainians have been crying out for more and more armament and weaponry with which they might be able to defend themselves. More howitzers, more rockets, more launchers, more missiles, more tanks and trucks and armored personnel carriers, drones, long-range smart bombs. Now they're asking for F-16 fighter jets. Anything that they might be able to repel the enemy that comes against them. In fact, it saddened me, but now they're asking and receiving uh, battle boots, bulletproof helmets, and vests for their kids. Kid-sized protections to try to defend their children and their senior citizens. Can you imagine Ukraine turning down and not putting any of these weapons into battle on their battlefield? Anything given them. The day might come, they'll be throwing rocks. Any weapon offered them. Why wouldn't they take it up and put it out there against their enemy that has come against them? But folks, that's what some Christians are doing. With the God-given weaponry the Lord has given for us to withstand the greatest invasion this planet has ever seen, The devil has now come down to us. And he is filled with great fury. Don't leave here and go out there without being prepared. And that starts with putting on Christ. Put on the whole armor of God, Paul says in Ephesians. And to the Galatians, Paul says, for as many of you who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And now you are wrapped in his protection. I would love to talk with anyone who would like to know more about putting on Christ. And I'm going to be standing right over here. 
after our closing prayer as we sing this final song. Let's stand and pray. Could we please? Lord God, thank you for this serious, serious warning that you have given us this morning. And we pray that each of us would take your warning seriously and that we would prepare for uh, the battle ahead that maybe the time we've even spent in here will help us gear up for what is yet to be faced out there. But if there's anyone here who's not put on Christ, Lord, please uh, touch their heart and encourage them not to try to go out there without Christ to protect them. That's our prayer, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people say it.